This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. In this hour, we're going to be talking about anxiety. Anxiety and the symptoms of anxiety and the different types. I'll focus in on one in particular, generalized anxiety disorder, because that seems to be one of the most common ones. Also going to be talking about breastfeeding. Breastfeeding for women is controversial. There is so much pressure on a woman to breastfeed. But what about when a woman is food insecure? Does that lead her to breastfeed longer or does that lead her to shorten her time that she's going to breastfeed? The answer might surprise you. Also want to talk about, you know, I do a lot of um, work in sexless relationships and sexless marriages. And it's interesting. I have couples who come in to see me and they have desire discrepancy. She may have low sexual desire, yet they are planning on having another child. And lo and behold, much like wine, the sexual desire increases for that time because there's an end goal in mind. But then after the baby is born, the sex drops off as well. That's one reason why men might cheat right after the baby is born or in that first year, that critical period. And that surprises a lot of people. But the reasons why men might cheat may not surprise you one bit, not one bit at all. And so I'm going to review some of those reasons. So many men cheat right after the baby comes. I do hear from a lot of patients that uh, the sex stopped after the baby was born. So, or once the kids came along. So that's a, a big problem as well. The kids, that's the problem. There it is. Finally got it after all these years. I knew that. I also want to read your emails, uh, which are fabulous. I love getting them. Nurse talk at hotmail.com. Should you care to share what's going on in your life? Because guess what? You might help somebody else. So nurse talk at hotmail.com. N-U-R-S-E-T-A-L-K at hotmail.com. It's it's important to unload. <laughs> Can you tell I love your emails? Get it off your chest. I do try and respond to every single email that I get. Um, and if I do read it on the air, just so you know, I it's I maintain anonymity. I, I if you haven't changed your name, I will change your name. Um, and also some of the um, identifying uh, identifiers associated with your email, I'll change those as well. Um, so we'll, maybe you have already, and sometimes... The wise ones do, but we'll scramble it up so that nobody has any idea who is inquiring, because inquiring minds want to know. Um, But nobody will know, but the sentiment will be the same. And you know what? You might help somebody else. And by human nature, that's, that's, we're all pretty much like that. We want to help others. And that's just the way people are, that they tend to be that way. There's also evil people. And I deal with patients who are in relationships with evil people and, you know, and having to help them to get to the place where um, they realize that they're with an evil person and that that will never change and the things in their relationship may never change. But the good news is, is that the person who is in the relationship and is finding things problematic, if they change, then things will change for them. So it's always looking at yourself That is my theme of this program tonight. Take a look at yourself. What's the role that you have in your relationship that is causing any any trouble? Anyway, without further ado, we're going to go on to my first subject, which is about breastfeeding. Now, this one 
you know, breastfeeding's tough. It's uh, it's it's not for everybody. There's a tremendous amount of societal and hospital pressure and midwifery pressure and physician pressure to breastfeed. Breast is best. You hear it all the time. Well, I say breast is best. Yes, perhaps, but formula is fine, especially if you can't breastfeed. If you get recurrent mastitis, which means you have a fever, nausea, vomiting, and dare I say on this program, diarrhea. I just said it. And you can get very sick. You can have a failure to thrive baby because the latch is difficult, because you have cracked nipples. There's so many problems. It can lead to when you're ineffective, and I don't even want to use that word. I can't even believe I use that word. But when the breastfeeding is ineffective, the feeding your baby, it may lead to emotional problems. Um for you and mental health issues it can lead to postpartum depression actually we see postpartum depression antepartum so we see it actually during pregnancy and so you have to be really careful do not ever put pressure on another woman to breastfeed and so I was very interested in this particular study that women in food insecure households give up exclusive breastfeeding earlier than others and this is troubling because uh, women who live in food insecure households, you might wonder what that means. They have trouble footing, putting food on the table. And so they will stop breastfeeding. This doesn't make sense. This is counterintuitive. But this study was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. And it found that Canadian women who reported this food insecurity, they worried about affording enough food to feed their families or ate less to save money, only exclusively breastfed their babies about half as long as women who weren't worried about affording the food. Now, this is, relates to the to economy, their own household economy. Uh, it may mean that women had to go back earlier, and that was related to why they had to stop, back to work earlier. That's, that may be related to why they had to stop breastfeeding. The study examined 10,450 women who responded to a Stats Canada survey. 17% of women survey reported some measure of food insecurity This is troubling in and of itself in our society that so many moms, the critical time of life is that newborn period, that time when you want to be, have peace of mind and be able to love and nurture and care for your baby. One of my hidden goals is to actually build homes for moms and babies who are underserved, um, who have had uh, challenges in life. And so, you know, someday I'd like to do this because I know as a reproductive health nurse, as working and having worked in labor and delivery as the as the perinatal and pediatric services manager, I understand this critical time of life and how important this is. And nutrition is so important as well. So half of the women who reported food insecurity stopped exclusive breastfeeding after two months. It took four months before half of the other women did the same. This can have serious implications in and of itself for infant's health and for uh, anxiety, you know, for the mom, which can be contagious and transfer onto the baby. Um, the infants may, may, and I say that um, very seriously and strongly, um, may less may not be as likely to reap the physical and emotional benefits of breastfeeding. That bonding may be impacted. It may be that, that the mom feels she's not as close to the baby because she has additional stressors on. And the World Health Organization, it's important to note that the WHO recommends that infants breastfeed exclusively for six months to achieve optimal growth, development, and health. But this doesn't mean this is the only way. I want to keep that in mind. Remember, formula is fine. If you are struggling, formula is absolutely fine. 
you have my total permission to go that route. Uh, some women would have a breastfeed during the day and the nighttime feeding would be a bottle. Um, and so that would help maybe the baby to fe- to sleep through the night a little bit better, give the mom a bit of a break. Pumping is also an option. And, and then the um, partners or the husbands or the fathers, whomever, can help along as well. There are economic implications to stopping breastfeeding early as well. When somebody stops, when a mom stops exclusive breastfeeding, they have to be able to feed their infant in another way. So you have to buy the formula, which I am not, this does not get lost on me. Formula is incredibly expensive. It drives me crazy. Uh, It's so unfair. And so you, you know, how can a woman afford to uh, put formula on the table when she can't put food on the table? This is worrying. And so they... Mothers don't stop breastfeeding because they're ignorant of its beliefs. We've done a great job in terms of education, maybe a little bit too much, but this is something, this is a serious issue. We need to take notice of this. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thanks for staying with me. I want to review some of the emails that I've received from you. Thank you so much. I love this one because it's from Mr. (laughs) All of yours should come from Mr. Uh, That way we have no issues with confidentiality. Hello, Maureen. I have seen your speech at TEDx a couple of times, and it is really good. It is really becoming a problem here in Sweden that women do not want to, and I can't use the word he used, on the radio. More and more single people and more and more unhappy people here. Number of people that actually are having sex here is down to Japanese levels. You know, 40% of Japanese men are virgins. That is astounding. Let's hope that doesn't happen to Sweden. Of course not. I hope not. Um, So I must have responded, (laughs) as I do to everybody. I did. I said, thanks so much for your note. Appreciate the views. That's probably why there's been 13 million. Perhaps Mr. has uh, viewed it a few more times, 10 million times. I said, too bad about Sweden. They don't know what they're missing. Um, So he actually responded, (laughs) it's getting weird down here. What I know, Stockholm is the world's most single dense town. I have been to two dates, on two dates the last week. Not a word from them after that. Ha ha, that means they ghosted. I believe the simple reason is that women here don't need a man. They have the same salaries as men, their own apartments, houses, cars. They have female friends own sister, brothers, kids, grandkids, if they want to cuddle and the sexual desire is gone. They want to go for a vacation, a trip to a warmer place. They always have some girlfriend, sister, working friend that comes with them. They simply do not get horny anymore. So what do they need a man to do? (laughs) I'm not so sure that that's the case. I have heard from people... They've said to me in my clinical practice, I'm Chinese. None of us like sex. I'm like, none of you? There are some stereotypes about Swedes that, um, you know, there's rumors that Swedes get naked whenever possible and that they have sex with everyone who can undress within a few seconds. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, Although one thing I have a tremendous amount of respect for about Sweden is that in 1955, Sweden was the first country in the world to introduce obligatory sexual education in the primary schools. And the the goal was to teach people uh, in early ages how to protect, of course, from, guess what, unwanted pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. However, it's going to have some other benefits as well. There are a number of strong 
uh, and independent feminist ideals in. Uh, there's a lot of feminine I- feminism, feminist, feminism and ideology <laughs> in Sweden. Um, so there's very few strip clubs or strongly sexualized advertisements on TV shows, that type of thing. Um, you know, the, you don't have as many, but you, but you still, of course, have them. So that's a myth that they're, they're that the feminists there are so strong, that and, and so independent, like this guy says. I mean, it does exist there, um, and there is a little bit more gender equality, but it's not that um, uh, these are stereotypes. Um, you know, a stereotype about a Swedish woman is that their attitude towards sex can be considered as welcoming, more welcoming than other parts of the globe, perhaps. But that's a stereotype. And, but actually another stereotype is that Swedish men are shy. Um, and so, you know, that's not necessarily the, the case either, but there are some, um, you know, ideas that the Swedes get, as I said, get naked more easily than anybody else. They have been brought up with saunas and, you know, that's a little bit come, of course we have that in North America now, but it's just not part of the, um, like, like a playroom is or a family room or a great room is in, in this country. Um, yeah, so it's, there's myths about, um, about certain, uh, or stereotypes and that, that may be mythical and especially for the Swedes. So that's not necessarily, uh, the case, but he is giving a little bird's eye view into his perception of what's going on, um, in Sweden, because the more the stereotype is that Swedes have a whole lot more sex than the rest of us. Um, so it's, uh, but education is important and, and keeping up with sex is important as well. And keeping it front and center in your relationship is vital. It's critical. So I had another email from a woman that I wanted to read that, that quite frankly was um, in large part about, well, she was quite embittered and demonstrated misplaced anger. So I'd like to read that email to you. This is from my inbox, which I'm, I've been sharing my inbox with you lately on LinkedIn and, um, and on the radio show when I share these emails with you that I receive. Dear Maureen, so I discovered my husband watched one of your segments. He was recently caught having a platonic sugar baby. His excuse? He wants sex. What a shocker. He wants sex, even though he behaves poorly and has been sick to the point of near death. He's 57 years old. I'm 54, in menopause, have vaginal atrophy and sex hurts. So I thought, huh, let's see what he watched. I read your transcript. Oh, my God, lady, WTF, you're totally putting the blame on women. I nursed my husband through his various illnesses, including cancer, while I had two children with learning difficulties, a house, and no life of my own. He got well, started partying while I was exhausted. Men are babies. Wah! Why can't I have sex, men say. I should want sex after he flirts with every breathing bee he comes across. How about they uh, grow up, using the F word. Thanks, lady. You have single-handedly bolstered, bolstered men's penis BS. Gloria. Wow. I took issue with this. First of all... Talk about an embittered woman. And intimacy is important in a marriage. And you can't just leave it on the back burner. And also, martyrdom never works, ever. Um, 
you know, this is, it's important to take care of your health. So there's many, there are many treatments for vaginal atrophy. There are personal moisturizers. There are lubricants. There are low-dose localized estrogen therapies that are important as well. Um, sex helps mood. I thought that was critical here because this woman has displaced anger, this displaced anger toward me. And many people interpreted some of my segments as, you know, as what they are not necessarily to be. It is to be, uh, to remind people that this is important. And it doesn't mean that you impose fidelity on a person who is deprived of sex from their spouse. And so just as there are treatments for mood, there are treatments for vaginal health conditions. And that's really important for women, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, vaginal laxity, leakage of urine. None of it is normal and you don't have to live with any of it. And there are a number of different treatments for um, any of those issues. I also am the executive director of the Women's Health Initiative Network, WIN, which is a not-for-profit organization to raise awareness about those below-the-belt issues that so many people are uncomfortable talking about, in particular women. So vaginal health, labial health, vulva, your um, leaking urine, uh, prolapse. So all of those subjects that cause women great grief. And, and it's important that we talk about this. So, um, but you know what? It's not just women who withhold sex from men. Men do the same for women. Remember, sex is about power. Everything in the world is related to sex except for sex. Sex is about power. Says Oscar Wilde, I wish I said it. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. It's, uh, we're getting into it. And there's lots of different subjects still to come. So many couples come to see me because they are in a sexless marriage, even though they may have children, they want to have another child, and that will increase their sexual desire, uh, the desire to have a baby. Much like a glass of wine will help a woman feel relaxed and uh, more vulnerable, perhaps um, lead into a little bit more exploration and fun in the bedroom as well. But, you know, there's a big problem after, once the kids come along, for many couples Many, there are, there's the Madonna whore complex where um, a man has confusion or a partner has confusion about uh, his wife or her wife with regard to uh, she was um, a, a sexual being before and my sexual partner, an intimate partner with him, and now she's a mother and she's breastfeeding and perhaps she has gained weight and perhaps that doesn't bother him, but that may bother her. So body image comes into play. Um, there are so many issues uh, for women after they've had a baby. And what happens, often the sex stops. And I hear that so commonly in my clinical practice that, um, that when, did this, when did this, you know, change for you in your relationship? And many, many women will say, you know, 18 months to four years after we met, or, and others will say, once the children arrived. Actually, he will typically say, once the children arrived. And this is not limited to heterosexual couples. This applies to same-sex couples as well. But but we're talking about heterosexual couples right now because you might be surprised. And, you know, that I heard it a long time ago. Uh, a therapist once said, uh, a friend of mine who was a psychologist, she said, um, what's the most common time that, time that men cheat? And, of course, I probably guessed everything but... And she said it's the, the first year after the baby's born, which, which was surprising for me because you think, oh, that's the most loving time, the most intimate. 
But you know what? There's reasons why it may not be the best time intimate-wise for men. So most of the time when a couple ties the knot, uh, you know, gets married, you know, there's a commitment to one another. Sometimes there's there's not. You know, we define that commitment differently. Um, or we don't expect like, oh, 40 years later, you know, 20 years later, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize I was in this for the long haul and there may be challenges because there's so much fun about around wedding planning. Um, but, you know, things can change after that. Um, if you bring a child into the relationship, that can change things. There can be accidental pregnancies. And, you know, sometimes you may not be raising or living with the children that you have fathered uh, you know, there's lots of different circumstances um, that can occur. Um, but I think the point here is that there's a risk after a baby is born in a couple, even in a loving couple, even in a committed couple. Um, they and, and even during the pregnancy, I've heard like 30-year-old guys say, I don't want to not have sex for the entire pregnancy because they think that they can't have sex, that they somehow may harm the baby. So you heard it here, you can have sex during pregnancy, unless your doctor has told you not to. Um, I've heard women say, well, I got pregnant. You know, they their desire was up, you know, in the time that they wanted to get pregnant. And once they got pregnant, they were like, we didn't have any sex during the pregnancy. So that's nine months. And then we haven't had sex since the child was born. And now the child is two. So you do the math. It's, it's not good. But that time after, that first year after, is a surprising time. Because the new parents are going to be overwhelmed. Many times people have said, this is not going to change our lives. The baby's not going to change our lives. Babies will change your lives. Both may underestimate just how much a baby does change your life. And this is forever. This isn't, you know, once you become parents or once they go to school or once they become 18. No, no, no. This is a lifelong commitment. And many people cannot handle that responsibility, whether it be, you know, men or women. Um, But most often than not, new moms are committed, but many times new dads are inclined to cheat after the birth of their babies. And you may not be surprised when it's a guy who wasn't too excited about that fifth child coming along, or maybe it's his second marriage and he's already had children. And the second time I actually had a patient say to me one time, he had a couple of kids from the first marriage and a couple of kids in the second marriage, and he, first of all, he he was a little bit older, and he said, you know, I just didn't expect to be working for the next 35 years. And then he said, I know, I know what you're going to say. I should have stopped at the kissing. So the consequence thing, you know, you got to think about that, guys. But um, the in most cases, those situations don't involve married couples who actually have a desire to have children. Those guys didn't want to be tied down in the first place. And they wanted to enjoy their lives for a bit longer. Maybe they wanted to get back on the ski hill or whatever. Um, but but when it comes to those guys, those fathers who were completely on board with being a father and excited about the arrival of the, the pitter-patter of little feet, they might even be shocked that, uh, that they might cheat after the baby is born. But it turns out there's a number of reasons why you might be at risk of cheating. And so one of it is feeling inadequate. And of course, this goes without saying, Um, you know, you might be all in and just all for this and supportive during the the pregnancy and um, and love the idea of becoming a father. But you know what? Reality strikes and all of a sudden you're not good enough. 
It's like, uh, you know, the, all the attention is placed on the baby. As I say, in marriage, the attention needs to be focused on the couple and then the children. I mean, I realize that with a newborn baby, of course, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're up at night, of course the focus is there, but there has to be some attention to the relationship. Um, and it, or it has to be short-lived where it's, um, you know, it's temporary. But you cannot ignore um, the father. And, and sometimes the father can just bring that upon himself, that he may was, was all good with being a dad, but now feels like he's outside of the circle. He's on the back burner. Uh, the, you know, the mother focuses all of her attention on the baby and not the husband. And you know what? A lot of guys can't handle the fact that their wives can no longer be attentive to them, even if it's temporary. You heard that email before. Wow. Why are men such babies? Well, when they have babies, things can change. And see, you see, before she became pregnant, the, her hubby may very well have been the center of her world, the carry on, the nucleus, the one and then all of a sudden, he becomes invisible. He's on the back burner. He's nobody. The priority is not him. The priority is to care for the, the baby. And even though he can intellectualize that, it's still hard. And never is sexual desire discrepancy ever more prominent than after a baby is born. Because pregnancy and childbirth can wreak havoc on a woman's hormones, on her pelvic floor, she may not experience sex in the same way she did before, so she may lose sexual sensation because of vaginal laxity, a common condition that occurs for women, especially women who have had uh, vaginal deliveries, but hormones can change that as well, and genetics also. So there are some dedicated, decent husbands who will patiently wait for their wives to go back into being into a good mood or a mood where they're intimate and, and uh, feeling sexual. But there are some guys that, that just won't because you know what? Some guys need excitement. They need sex. They need excitement. They can't stand to be bored. They might have been excited about being coming a dad before the baby arrived, but then all of a sudden the baby arrived and it's just like this time waster. You know, like uh, the day just flies by and I don't even know what I've accomplished. And, you know, what's happened to my world? Um, he finds this life ugly, maybe stressful, and, and as I mentioned, boring. Um, because some people just need to be stimulated a lot. And so these are risks. This is another risk um, of um, a guy cheating after a baby's born in that first year or soon after the baby is born. Guys who have fears of commitment may do that. Guys who are afraid of their wife's moods. And mother's moods are something different. They can be hormonal and fluctuate. And you can be, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread one minute and then your head is on the cutting board the next minute. So that can be a problem as well. You know, some guys are regretful that they actually got married and they miss their single life. Lack of sleep affects men as well. Weight gain affects men too. They may have gained weight during the pregnancy and they hate their body and they don't feel great and their mood isn't great either. Financial pressures, finances change as well. Um, his wife may have postpartum depression and that can change things as well. A man can get postpartum depression also he could be influenced by his single friends, and that's a problem as well. And Or he's truly a mama's boy. And you know what? What your mother says about your wife can influence whether or not you cheat on your wife. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. We are in the final strokes of the program. Uh, I suppose a, uh, an okay place to be. Uh, getting through lots of different subjects. And, and right now I want to talk about anxiety. 
because anxiety is the most common mental health issue in Canada and the U.S. as well. Anxiety is your natural response to stress. It's your body's response to stress. You might be lying there in bed right now thinking, I can't fall asleep. I am trying to fall asleep. You're getting increasingly anxious. You may have a fear, a feeling of fear, thinking I'm not going to get up tomorrow. I'm, I'm, what if I miss my plane? You go to the worst case scenario. Anxiety is a feeling of fear and apprehension about what's to come. You know, that new job or that job interview or giving a speech or meeting somebody new. Most people tend to feel Nervous, of course, but if your feelings of nervousness actually progress to anxiety and then they become extreme, they last longer than six months and may interfere with your life, you may have an anxiety disorder. So who gets anxiety disorders, these most common form of emotional disorder? These, anybody can get anxiety. And and sometimes we overuse the word anxiety as well. Um, people can feel anxious about their hair, <laughs> about their body. That's really common, having a body image anxiety. But it can affect anyone at any age. According to the American Psychiatric Association, however, women are more likely than men to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That doesn't necessarily mean that men don't get anxiety or that men don't have it equally as much, but it's women who actually have a tendency to seek health care more readily than men do, but it is women who are more likely to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That said, also, we have a history of being called hysterical and being diagnosed with hysteria, and that's not necessarily the case either. Um, you know, so anxiety is, uh, you know, you have to be very careful around it, and sometimes people can just be dramatic or you know, you don't want to dismiss people either who have anxiety. If you have an anxiety disorder, you may also be depressed because it's it's a continuum. As I describe to people, anxiety is on one end of the spectrum and depression is on the other. In fact, they're on the same uh, line of the spectrum. So some people with anxiety disorders may self-medicate. And I see a lot of this in some of the work that I do, especially the work that I do with addiction. And they... They self-medicate to feel better. And this does provide temporary relief, but it can also make the condition worse. So if you are prone to anxiety and you are drinking alcohol, for example, not good. You may notice if you have any insight, and typically people who abuse alcohol lack a bit of insight. It's when only when they get that insight that do they actually begin to heal and recover. But if you find that, you know, you're drinking, alcohol is either increasing or you're not feeling any better, then, you know, it might be time to uh, look at that bottle. Replace that glass of wine with an ice cream. No, not necessarily. Replace it with some berries and plain yogurt. Um, you know, you also may need to treat an alcohol or drug problem before the anxiety can be depre- can be addressed. Now, the thing is, a lot of people who have alcohol use and abuse issues or alcoholism or drug addiction, people will, I hear people say, you know, they're, they're bipolar or they, you know, they diagnose from Google basically. But, you know, that's a typical one because their moods are up and down. But, you know, somebody has to be sober before they can properly be properly diagnosed if they even have anything at all. And typically when people come off of their drugs or they come off of the alcohol that, and they deal with their emotional issues on the inside, they typically wouldn't be diagnosed with any mental health uh, disorder. So, it's care. It's it's important to note that that um, it's it likely can be the substance that somebody is using that is causing the problem more than an underlying mental health condition. 
People often wonder what anxiety feels like. I remember somebody kept saying she had agita. I'm like, what is that? What do you mean? And it, you know, she can describe what it was like for her. It was kind of a tightness in the chest, but anxiety feels different in different people. So you might feel like you're standing in the middle of a crumbling building with nothing but an umbrella to protect you. Or your sky may fall down, you know, and you're not resourceful enough to use it as a blanket in that moment, but you might be later. Or you might feel just overwhelmed, depleted, doing too much, that you're on the treadmill, you're on a merry-go-round going 100 kilometers an hour, and you just can't slow down. You might have that classic butterflies in your stomach, or you may have a pounding heart or a racing heart. And you may not even notice the racing heart until you lie down at night. You might experience panic. I had a woman in my clinical practice this week, and she said I was just getting anxious, and it was leading to panic attacks. And, you know, her life is going well, and she was getting promotions at work, and and yet she still had this. And so it it did require antidepressant medication in her case, but not long-term. Her and her doctor's goal is to get her off the medication and to deal with what's going on inside of her, hence her visit to me. Um, There may be some painful thoughts or memories that you're having difficulty getting out of your head, and that can be trigger that that can be a trigger for you. Um, You know, there's just also this feeling of dread, like something bad is going to happen. You know, we're humans; we go to worst case scenario. Oh, the company wants to have a call with me on you know such and such, and that's unusual. It's out of the pattern. You think I'm going to lose my job? Not necessarily. Maybe they wanted to give you a promotion. Who knows? But you go. We have a tendency to go to the negative. So try not to go to the negative if you can. That would be good. But some of the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder include increased heart rate, rapid breathing, restlessness, difficulty concentrating, and difficulty falling asleep. And that's why it can be just such a vicious cycle. Anxiety is a feeling of fear when you have when you feel you must do something and you can't and it becomes stressful. So there's anxiety and then there's an anxiety disorder. So, you know, but there's also normal anxiety. That's, uh, you know, okay, you can get nervous about a job interview, but it's not anxiety. But in case of an anxiety disorder, the feeling of fear may be with you all the time. It's intense. It can be debilitating, paralyzing. It never leaves you. And it may stop you to from doing things that you enjoy. It may prevent you from going into elevators, from driving, uh, from leaving your home. Some people have agoraphobia. So if you don't treat your anxiety, it will get worse. You must believe me. There are a number of different types of anxiety disorder. There's panic disorder that's characterized by bouts of intense fear or terror that develops quickly and unexpectedly. There are phobias, the excessive fear of specific object situations, or an activity. There's social anxiety disorder, which is extreme fear of being judged by others in social situations. So you avoid them. And what makes for a great life, partly, is your relationships and other people, human contact. Obsessive compulsive disorder is recurring irrational thoughts that lead you to perform specific repeated behaviors. They are unwanted thoughts and then leads to an action that you have to do in order to deal with it. Intellectually, you know that that doesn't make any sense, but you can't stop doing that. Separation anxiety disorders, fear of being away from home or loved ones. Hypochondriasis is anxiety about your health. I'm sure you've met people like that before. 
And post-traumatic stress disorder is anxiety following a traumatic event. I had a patient in my clinical practice this week. She had a baby 45 years ago, and she was still suffering from a complex post-traumatic stress disorder because of the labor. Women need to talk about their labors after they have had a baby. They need to process that. They need to deal with that, and they need to resolve that. So anxiety disorders are so common, but the outlook is good. It can be treated with medication, psychotherapy, or combination of both. Um, you know, there's different varying forms of it, but know that there's help. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There should be no stigma associated with this. And um, so do get the help. Do talk to your doctor about that. Well, looks like we are at the end of the program. Final, the very final stroke of the program. Thanks so much for being here with me tonight. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all your emails. Feel free to send me more. Nurse talk at hotmail.com. You can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. That's backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter at back, the number two, the bedroom. I am on LinkedIn and where I will post my uh, blogs from Fifty Shades of Pink. So you can go to either one of those places. So feel free to reach out and connect with me. And you know what? Uh, My little saying for this week is, when the sky falls down, use it as a blanket. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.